have. Let's seek the Lord's blessing before we open his word. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for being our Father, for giving us such great and exceeding precious promises. And though you are so far above us, so high, so holy, so perfect, yet in your love, you have made a way for us to be your sons and daughters. So it is with profound joy, with gladness, dear Father, that we come before thee, that we pour out our petitions, not only this morning, but dear Father, we pray by faith every day, every, every moment that we uh, realize our need as we turn to thee. Dear Father, we ask for a blessing out of thy word this morning. Please minister to our needs. We are not able of ourselves to gather for ourselves what we need to live. Dear Father, we are waiting for thy hand. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to continue in 2 Corinthians. We're now at the second last chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, and in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. I'd like to stop at verse 11. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer.
O loving Father in heaven, all honour, glory and praise and adoration be unto thee, the living God. Thou who didst create this world and the universe and in the end you created man a little lower than the angels and yet you have crowned him with glory and through that man came a second man, a second Adam the Lord Jesus Christ who created the world who executed your plan of creation and there was nothing made that was not made but as you uttered the word he went forth and created all that we see and don't see it is this God that we serve this triune God God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit which the Apostle Paul himself calls the Godhead the deity divinity which was from everlasting past to the everlasting future will be O Lord unto thee do we come and who are we what is man that thou are mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him indeed we are as the Apostle Paul had to learn that we are nothing we are powerless and unless we acknowledge that unless we see that we are weak then we cannot be strong in Christ and so Father as we bow before you this morning we pray for your mercy and grace upon this congregation both here and present in this building and those that are listening in we pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher your Holy Spirit will provide for each and every need every one of us has got different needs and that your Holy Spirit would reach down and convict and and remind and comfort and strengthen wherever needed Lord Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. For this is your command to us, to pray. This is how you taught your disciples. That when we come before you, we would lift you up, we would magnify your name, we would praise your name and exalt thee, acknowledging that from thee comes all good things. And then we petition thee for the things that we need not the things that we want not the things of this world because people that do that they ask amiss and they do not receive but we ask Lord for the things that will lift up our spirits that will strengthen the inner man Father we thank thee for this time of worship help us to leave all earthly matters aside and to focus on your word and to be continually asking questions what does the Lord want me to do with this what does the Lord want me to act on now that I know this truth father everyone can answer for themselves 
And we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict each and every one of us to answer for ourselves. Father, we pray for those that are not here, those that would love to be here, those that are sick, the shut-in, the lowly, the isolated, those that are going through great trials and stresses in their lives. You are able to lift them up. Father, we especially pray for the chronically ill, for those that have been ill for such a long time, for Sister Olga Ordog, for Sister Elizabeth Befford, for Sister Olga Vukov, for Sister Sandy Soros in Kitchener, little Jacob Weinhardt, for Christy Ritzman, for Ida Terzik, for those that are suffering with many diseases of the flesh, infirmities of the flesh, we pray that you would be their comfort, strength, and make your presence known in their lives, that they may feel your presence and know that there is no better place to be than in the hands of the living God. Father, we pray for the unconverted, those that have heard the message in, day in and day out. Lord, may they take from the testimony of the Apostle Paul, if we have read of this morning hour, how he was such a zealous Jew and he was so zealous that he opposed the Christian faith that he persecuted them that he sent them into prisons and even <coughs> consented to their death and stoning as was Stephen Lord yet he turned around a man that was very intelligent a man that was very learned by every stretch of the imagination, raised at the feet of Gamaliel, yet he counted all these things but done to realize that one day all the earthly accolades, all the earthly possessions, all the earthly uh, attributes that one may have and qualifications will one day burn up, will one day dissolve, and they'll stand naked before you. Your word, Lord, is this two-edged sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning between soul and spirit, between the joints and the marrow, and before whom we are naked, and we stand before him with whom we have to do. So we pray, Lord, that your word will go forth once again to every one of us, converted and unconverted, that it may achieve its intended purpose and not return to you void as you have promised be with the brother as you would preach your word give him wisdom and uh, utterance clarity of speech and be with us throughout the remainder of this day if we pray and ask these things and we also pray lord as we had mentioned earlier that there are many sick that are not in our congregation for sister julia brother john rutka and for Vasil Baranga, we pray that you'll touch his heart as well as we have once again witnessed your healing in his life for the second time. Father, we pray that he may indeed end with a good ending and that he would one day be saved as well. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus.
Amen. Check if they can I don't know if there's. I know, too close. It's been a number of months, maybe about two months, since we meditated together on the previous chapter in uh, Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians. If I could remind you just a little bit, the latter half of the latter portion of this, of this epistle was a change in tone. Paul gets stronger, uh, uh, more, str- I, don't, I don't think it's strident is the right word, but more pointed. And he starts, he says, bear with me in my folly and this foolishness a little bit. I'm going to do a comparison. And he compares himself against these false apostles. If you remember in the previous chapter, he compares himself with them in the matter of speaking. He's not a polished speaker, but in terms of knowledge and his life. He compares himself with them in the matter of money, that they were taking money. And he said, I'm not taking any money from you. He compares himself with them in the matter of suffering in, in, for the name of Christ and then we get in that last half of that previous chapter, this most complete picture of Paul's life and all the different things he endured. I think he continues in the same vein here in this chapter. It's not explicit, I'm, I'm just making a guess here. But I suspect that those false apostles were making claims of grand visions and revelations. The Lord told me this in a dream, or the Lord told me that. And that was a, a means to lift themselves up, maybe, and, and, and give credence to what they were saying. And I think maybe Paul felt he had to answer this, too, and to share something that probably he had not shared before with, maybe, a, maybe with some close friends, I'm not sure, but not publicly. Visions and revelations of the Lord. If you read in Acts, Paul did have visions, a number of visions in Acts. A number of revelations, even more than a vision, a revelation. You remember his conversion experience on the Damascus Road where Christ met him and said, Saul, Saul, who are you persecuting? You're, you're per- persecuting me. And he had the vision of the man in Macedonia saying, come over to us here in, in Europe. Uh, the, that, that was the, the Holy Spirit uh, prompting. He even had a specific vision in Corinth that, you know, if, if it was me, I would probably think, oh, I'll relate some details about that vision because it pertains to these Corinthians. It's specifically about them. It was a vision of, of Jesus appearing to him and saying, Paul, don't worry, fear not. Of this opposition you have in Corinth, there are many of my people here. You have much work to do, basically. He didn't share that either. Instead, he shares something highly personal that I don't think he shared for his benefit or to make him look good. He says, it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I'm not doing this because I really want to for my sake. I'm doing it for your sake, to share something something that the Lord showed me and together with something else 
really typifies, really exemplifies what, how he ended uh, the previous chapter. He says, if, or verse 30 of the previous chapter, if he, he says, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. And he's going to give a final example here, a final um, experience, personal experience that he had to top this whole list in the previous chapter that typifies, that shows what it means to glory in your infirmities. So what does he share? I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. And he starts, uh, don't get sidetracked here, he starts in the third person, but he's speaking about himself. It's clear. You read this passage, you read the context. Verse 7, he says, lest I should be exalted above measure. He's speaking about himself. But he, I think he starts in the third person as even a way to distance himself from this, to... to, to if it was a false apostle that had this, or someone who was puffing up himself said, I had this wonderful experience I want to share with you, and I have a, a tape about it, and I'm doing a talk tomorrow night, and, and I'm going to be on a tour. Paul doesn't go that way. He says he wants to even distance himself. I knew a man. I'll, I'll glory in that man, but in myself, I won't glory. He, he starts in this way to really distance himself from this experience. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. He hasn't shared this experience with anyone widely, I suppose, or maybe even with anyone else for 14 years. It's something he kept to himself. What is this experience? There's no details. He gives no details whatsoever. He just says it was an experience of heaven. I was caught up to the third heaven. I was caught up to paradise. And I saw things which... I'm not even allowed to talk about. Heard things that I'm not even allowed to talk about. And this experience was so intense, I don't even know if it was in my body or if it was out of my body, if it was a dream or... I don't know exactly why God gave him this experience maybe had something to do with some encouragement he needed for what was ahead, for the great weight he was going to bear. You know, God tells Ananias and, and Acts that I will tell Paul what great things he must suffer for my name. So the Lord had gave him a sense of what he was going to go through, but maybe this vision of heaven that, that was indescribable and, and so beyond what he could put in words was some of what he needed, some encouragement. But it's really interesting where he ends up in verse 6 from this. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, I'm going to stop, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be or that he heareth of me. The important thing about this experience is, it's, it's going to come later on, but the important thing here is what you actually see in me and hear from me. Not this experience, this own personal experience I had that, uh, uh, that meant so much to me and was, was just amazing. I want you to focus on what you see in me and what you hear me speak. That's, that's really where the, the rubber meets the road. So Paul had this amazing experience which he didn't really share with anyone. And then he says, and lest I should be exalted above measure. 
Here's a man who knows his own frame, who understands himself quite well. How many of us, when we go through a difficulty, through a challenge, through a, through a hard time, say, God, this is for my good. You know my frame. You know the temptation, how I could be. When life is all good, I could be exalted above measure, out of, out of bounds. Paul knew his frame. He was aware of, of who he was in the flesh as a man. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. The interesting thing about this experience that he relates, that really, typif- that really exemplifies this verse 30, glorying in mine own infirmities, he, he tells you, the, the thing I want you to focus on is what God told me, what he gave me in conjunction with that revelation, the thorn in the flesh, the, the lesson that he taught me together with, coupled together with this wonderful experience and then the thorn in the flesh that God gave me. <clears throat> what was this thorn in the flesh there's been a lot of guesses I don't think it's profitable doesn't say it here I think God in his wisdom did not record in scripture the specific thing that it was and I think he did it in his wisdom so that we could all see ourselves in this we all live in the flesh we've all experienced we all will experience different thorns different things that that beset us. I think it was in the flesh. I don't think it was just a purely spiritual thing. I think it was something in the flesh, a thorn in the flesh. And probably it was something that the readers in Corinth, those who read this letter, they knew. Paul didn't have to spell it out for them. They knew some of what he had to bear with. And he says here, a messenger of Satan. You know, the things we experience in this flesh, the difficulties, the heartaches, the separations, the pains, the deaths, they are a result of of evil, of the fall. We do live in a fallen world. A world in which Satan has a measure of control and power. And we have a choice. Every time we are afflicted, every time something bad comes along, we have a choice to see it as just a messenger of Satan, as just a message from the evil one saying, I am the one in control here. I have the final say. I can make life difficult for you. Or as Paul saw through this, that actually this is a message from God, a specific message from God. How that works, I don't understand. How God, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, in his power, he can use these thorns in the flesh, these messengers of Satan, to actually speak something deeper and something far more valuable into our life than we would have had otherwise if this thorn in the flesh had not come to Paul. If he just had this wonderful vision, he said, I would have been tempted to be exalted above measure. I maybe would have fallen through pride. 
but God in his wisdom allowed Satan to do something to me to stick a thorn into my flesh to buffet me not buffet buffet this is a a knuckle sandwich buffet means hit black and blue over and over again buffet I don't know how the buffeting was I can imagine Satan speaking to Paul in those moments how are you going to do your ministry Paul with this thorn in the flesh how are you going to be effective in God's kingdom if you're struggling with this how are you going to tell other people about the power of God when you have this thing that's weighing you down and you can't think about anything else you're so distracted every time you think about it you get a sick feeling in the pit of your stomach how can you be a minister to the Gentiles someone that God wants to use if you have this thing that's from me that's as a result of the fall and our and our fallen nature and our and our flesh which decays I don't know how Satan talked to him but it was a buffeting and Paul did the right thing in this he did the right thing he turned to the Lord he, he besought him thrice I prayed three times that it might depart from me. He prayed earnestly and he prayed fervently. Besought means to plead with, to beg. It wasn't a one-time thing. He didn't receive an answer the first two times. He prayed fervently, which was right, which was good. It, he instructs others elsewhere to do that. Same thing. And then the third time there was an answer. An answer that I think did more for Paul, that undergirded, that, that, that gave him more direction and focus in his ministry than, than this vision of heaven would have on its own. An answer that he's been building up to all along. An answer that the Corinthians needed to hear, a self-sufficient, fleshly church. An answer that we need to hear today too. An answer, my friend outside of Christ, that you need to hear too. You who are in your own strength going along and thinking, I can do this on my own. And the answer that God gave him through this thorn in the flesh, through his three times praying, through his struggling, his pleading was very simple. We know it. My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. There's been a number of people that have, I mean, this is well-known scripture, and, and for good reason, it encapsulates so much. I mean, it's really the, the, the theme, the thread that's going through all of Paul's experience. You know, this man who had an evident thorn in the flesh that other people knew about, that, that, that was apparent, though we don't know the specifics of it, this man is able to do amazing things to, to be the most traveled man of the ancient world, to experience and not as some dilettante, some tourist to see the sights, to experience suffering and pain and, and, dep and, and deprivation. And this is a man who really tasted my grace is sufficient for thee. God's grace was, was super abundant in his life. Others have, have reflected on this phrase many times and 
many ways. And one of the observations, Paul Bunyan being one of them, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, he says every word in here, you could think on every word in this short phrase and receive meaning from it. Let's think about that. My grace. So in, in, not in this Bible, I don't know, in your pew Bibles, but in often in a red letter edition, you'll see in red the words of Christ. And it's true. These words are from Jesus Christ. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. I think it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is his answer. My grace. My. The grace of Jesus Christ. The man who wore a whole crown of thorns for me. It says, the thorn, singular, that you're obsessing, you're struggling with now, what I have and can give to you is sufficient for it. My grace. And his grace, his goodness, his favor, his delight. All of what you really want, all of what you really need in life. You may think you need this, you may think you need that, the only thing you really need, brother, sister, friend, is grace, is God's goodness and his favor. That's the thing that really matters. That's the inestimable treasure, the shining favor of his face. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. That's what you and I want, is God's grace. We don't want anything else. Nothing else is worth it. My grace, my grace is, is, not was, not will be, is, right now, in this present moment, is. And that's the hard thing, right? We can look at the past, we can say God was gracious, he was good, he provided, he did. I can mentally believe, I can assent, he will be sufficient in the future. Right at this moment, now, whatever I'm going through, it is sufficient. I think that's, that is um, a realization, my friend, on the side of Christ that is escaping you at this moment. You may think it's something in the future it is now at this moment available. That grace to walk in him is. It's not something future, something far off. It is here right now. Brother and sister, it is here right now too. Just thinking about this, this passage, permit me a digression. My grace is sufficient for thee. You know, we talk about the washing of the water of the word. How, how God's word renews our minds, sets us right again. How many times have I been struggling along in the mud, just thinking about what I'm thinking about, struggling with what I'm thinking about, and not just even resting my mind and my heart on this, my grace is sufficient for thee. How many times have I neglected the clear, cool, pure water of God's word just to think, my grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient at this moment. 
Here is a washing, a cleansing, a purification, just in this simple phrase. My grace is sufficient to set me right again. My grace is sufficient. Sufficient. It's enough. You know, this is a really wonderful, this, this use of this word sufficient is a really wonderful condescension on, part, on God's part. The grace of the Lord of the universe who created all things, everything, by his word, his grace certainly is sufficient. It's enough for us. It's more than enough. It's abundant. For, for little old me and, the, and my little problems, the Lord of the universe, this is, this is a, a coming down to our level of, of, a, of a father patting his child on the, on the back and holding his child and saying, it's going to be all right. I've got this. It's sufficient. I heard the analogy once. It's like a fish in the sea being worried that he's going to drink up all the water in the sea, that there's not enough water in the sea for him. God's grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. It's an, it, Paul shows it. Those that entrusted themselves fully to him, they showed it. It's, it's more than enough. My grace is sufficient for thee, everyone, for you. No exceptions, no qualifications. It's, it is a promise. I admit, I confess, many times it comes easily off the tongue when I say it to other people. But it is something that Paul learned a painful way and I think he wants each of us to learn in various different painful ways that his grace is sufficient. Not only that, but that his strength is made perfect in weakness. He wants us to learn that too. My strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength, Paul showed it in his life, Christ's. The ultimate example. Hebrews 5. It's talking of Christ and his weakness. Listen to this weakness. Those of you, none of us like weakness of ourselves. The natural man does not like weakness. He doesn't want to be in a position of weakness, of, 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 of helplessness. But listen to this. This is the Lord of the universe, the one who created all things by the word of his power, saying, being, experiencing, verse 7 of chapter 5, Hebrews, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. Oh, what a position of weakness, of helplessness, strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, just like Paul was heard in his prayers. Though he were a son, capital S, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect. Here is the strength that's made perfect. Think about it. Think about what Christ experienced, the ultimate weakness, the ultimate helplessness on a cross, being humiliated and and inflicted with so much pain in, in, in the gaze of the whole world and through that ultimate weakness having the ultimate strength the ultimate victory to to deliver mankind from death to vanquish death 
the thing that we all in our natural state fear, the thing that we all know is waiting for us, the ultimate strength, the ultimate victory through the ultimate weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. But how many times do I turn away from the the thing that is the weakness, the thing that is the difficulty and the painful and the humiliating and humbling of myself? My brother and my sister, what's the application of this? I think we we understand. We understand that self-sufficiency, dependence on self, is, is death to the Christian life. There is not some kind of parenting model with God that, you know, when they're young, they're well cared for and, and, and kept close, but as they get older, you know, they become more independent and then they go off on their own way and then eventually they're, they're adults. It's not that way with God. There is an increasing dependence. You know, we start as babies, but in some sense, we, we're always desiring the sincere milk of the word. We're always thirsting for him and needing this kind of scripture to speak to us. In some sense, we always need that. It should get more. The dependence should get more. It should not get less. As we grow in Christ. Do not ever think you can do something, some ministry, some service, something on your own power, brother and sister. Don't think that it's, it's, it's a matter of self-sufficiency. God had to give Paul something very painful, something very persistent, a thorn. I've heard that the, 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 the word here, uh, maybe the, the Greek word in the Septuagint is not like you know, a little prick, it's like a tent stake thorn kind of big he had to give him something all during his ministry to remind him yep it's God that's enabling me it's his strength it's not mine my friend outside of Christ the application to you I don't think you've got to the point of realizing your own weakness yet You will never experience the strength, the strength you need, the strength you do not have on your own, the strength to overcome sin, the strength to believe, the strength to trust an infinite, all-knowing God from a position of your own strength. It will not be on your own power. Salvation will never be you getting there. It will come only through weakness. This is the template. This is the template for the Christian life. You need to learn this lesson now to enter in and to live on that and to walk on that path. It's through weakness. It's through the humbling of myself. This is why Paul is, is, it can glory in this. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He knows now. He's experienced now that this is the path of, of joy, knowing that I'm weak and God is going to supply. And that this thing that is painful and difficult and I don't even want to think about is the means God speaking this truth into my life.
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. <laughs> you read that just on its own, and oh, is he a masochist? What is he? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. I see the big picture. I see Christ's kingdom coming. I don't think Paul saw it in every circumstance as he was going through it. I don't think he saw how things were going to work out. He didn't see as he was being, as people, the crowd, were picking up those stones to throw at him or the, 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 the ship was breaking apart in the storm. Or he didn't, he, he wasn't God. He didn't know what the future was going to hold. He didn't know how it was going to work out. But he had had enough of an experience to know that this is for Christ's sake. And it has his strength resting on it. And that's enough. That was enough for him. This is the experience that God wants you to make with him, my friend, on the side of Christ. And brother and sister, he wants you to continue in this experience. He wants me to continue in this experience of experiencing my own weakness in order to experience his strength. May God be glorified in all this. May he be glorified in our lives as we look around and we go, we're very weak. Individually, as a church, we don't have the strength. How are we going to do what God has called us to? His strength is sufficient. Let's believe that. Let's believe it right now, that it is sufficient here and now. Father in heaven, how often do we need to be reminded that you have a vested interest in our weakness, dear Father, and it's very clear in your word that you have little to no patience for the proud and strong, dear Father. For when pride rears its ugly head, dear Father, we become far away from you. And we've all certainly been guilty of that, dear Father, numerous times. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we've heard today that your grace is sufficient and it takes a humble man or woman, dear Father, to concede that if at this moment all we are allowed to do is draw another breath, then indeed that is sufficient, dear Father. May we keep this in mind as we all deal with our own thorns that we deal with day by day and to stop with the whining and complaining, dear Father. Your word gives us no guarantees but suffering and persecution, dear Father. Not wealth or comfort or pleasure or honor, but suffering and persecution. And this is what is such a scandal to the world, dear Father, who seeks wealth and pleasure, dear Father, above all, and that any type of suffering, dear Father, for your sake is only a burden on them, dear Father. We pray that this message live with us each day, once again, that the suffering we go through each day, dear Father, is something to be learned from, and that we cannot continue, dear Father, to murmur and to pray and to cry out for you to lift burdens from us so we can be more comfortable, dear Father. It's something we must all come to grips with and to uh and to know dear father that is for our own good you want the best for us and we know that only our best is in your mind we thank you again dear father for what you've given us on this day dear father indeed the breath we're we are drawing right now that if that's your grace right now then so be it as we thank you for the sacrifice of our lord dear father and what he's done for us and what he does for us each and every day we pray for the lonely and aged for those who are struggling, dear Father, with this truth, this absolute truth, that they may be, that the scales may be lifted from their eyes, dear Father, and to concede 
and to dispense with their pride and to once again turn to your word, dear Father, and know that only our best is in your mind. We thank you again for this, dear Father, as we ask for blessings on this day, dear Father, our loved ones, our brothers and sisters, those who are suffering, those who are grieving. We thank you for your blessings, dear Father, each and every day, those we've seen and especially those that we haven't seen. We are eternally grateful for what you've given us, and we look forward to the rest of this day, dear Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother, please choose a closing hymn. Many thoughts went through my mind as um, I was listening to the word being preached this morning. One of the first songs that came to my mind, I sort of like to associate a song with many experiences in my life. And uh, one of the first songs that came to my mind was the gospel hymn, which we sing fairly often. Uh, When I survey the wondrous cross. It says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count by loss, but loss, and poor content on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast or glory, save in the death of Christ my God, my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life. My all. You see, the Apostle Paul wasn't the only one that received a thorn. Jesus received a crown of thorns. And he began to start bleeding for our sins. When the, the, the crown was pressed into his, into his skull, if you will, and bleeding from his, down his cheeks. And when we come across in our lives difficulties and trials and temptations it's always been for our redemptive purposes you know when brother Eric talked about this messenger of Satan was was given to him to buffet him I mean, the Lord Jesus went through the same thing. It says that he was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4 to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And he went through that in order to begin the victory over the devil, over the Satan, for our benefit and he doesn't expect any less of us he sends trials upon us he sends he gives us burdens to strengthen us you know you've heard the saying or the prayer God I asked God for patience and what did God give me trials 
I asked God for strength. What did he give me? More burdens. Even in this world, people, when they want to get stronger, they've got to lift heavier burdens, the heavier weights, run further. It's all for our redemptive end. I was really moved once when there was a video posted of a, of a father who would take his son who had muscular dystrophy. He was a grown adult. He would take him and he'd push him around in this cart because he was, he saw that he had, he was thrilling his son when he was pushing him in his cart and he entered a triathlon. And every time he finished that finish line, he would bring joy and exhilaration. His son would just be rejoicing that he crossed the finish line. And he did this for years. It was painful, it was difficult, it was arduous, it was stre st uh, stressful. But in the end, the doctor said to the father, do you know what? You doing this for many years saved your life. It saved your heart after analyzing the condition of his heart. And many things that we don't think sometimes it shouldn't be there. I'm a Christian. I should have this path of roses that we talked about. But God puts things in our lives, unbeknownst perhaps to us, that it will be for our redemptive end. May the Lord bless the word that we've heard this morning and to him be all the honor and glory now and evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.